0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In The Ring with Acacia Clement. I'm your host, Acacia Clement, as we are coming towards the end of September, which is just pretty crazy. I feel like the summer flew by. And now I was kind of looking at the calendar like, oh, you know, it's only early September. Toga just ended and no, it's September 22nd. It's uh, it's time to really be focusing on fall things now. It's it officially feels like fall outside as well. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like saratoga just went so quickly and now continuing on to the fall we have the keeneland uh, september yearling sale going on right now so we'll talk quite a bit about that on today's show and also on top of that you have a lot of the, the stakes coming up soon that are preps for the breeders cup and that's going to be the big focus moving forward is leading into that breeders cup world championships the first week of november so a lot of exciting stuff coming up and i want to say a big thank you to our sponsors and our supporters for making in the ring possible we get support from Gainesway and thrilled to once again, be partnered with Gainesway farm for 2023 Gainsway stands up and coming stallion. McKinsey McKinsey produced 16, six figure first crop weanlings. The most of any first crop sire yielding a $135,000 weanling average at Keeneland January McKinsey produced the two highest Priced first crop yearlings at 250000 and 220000 well above the $145,000 Keeneland January sales average. Additionally, a phasic tipped in February, McKinsey had the highest price first crop yearling at $200,000. do not miss out on your opportunity. For more information, you can visit gainsway.com. We also get support from Adelphi Racing, which has had a tremendous year and very excited about all the two-year-olds in 2023 um, that we saw debut over the summer and still to come now in the fall. There's never been a better time to be a partner. If you're looking for a collaborative horse ownership experience that offers a fiscally sustainable approach to horse ownership, then Adelphi Racing is the right fit for you. Not just another syndicate. The members are not just investors. They are partners. Contact Adelphi today to get a taste of the Adelphi experience and come hang out at the racetrack. All the ways to get in touch, you can check out Racing.com, email matt, M-A-T-T, at Racing.com or check them out on social media, Instagram, or Twitter or X now if that's what it's called we also want to say thank you to Qatar Racing thrilled to be partnered with Qatar Racing which is a subsidiary of Kipco, the largest sponsor in British flat racing as a global racing and breeding operation Qatar Racing chairman Sheikh Fahad bin Abdullah Al Thani has created an expansive international sponsorship portfolio to include the Breeders Cup and events like the Pegasus World Cup turf Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training many mares and foals in years and four top class stallions kamiko Star, havana gold and lightning spear don't miss out on the great qatar racing action and you can learn more at in the money slash qatar big thank you again to all of our sponsors and supporters and thank you to you listener for continuing to check in on everything that's going on here within the ring so with that let's get right to our special guest for today's show I'm so happy to welcome in trainer Cherie DeVoe to the show this week, fresh off of a really big weekend, picking up her first grade one win with she feels pretty in the Natalma up at Woodbine Sheree, First of all, congratulations. And, you know, I I would say it's a compliment to you because I didn't even realize that you hadn't picked up a grade one yet um, until this weekend, but I'm sure it's, it's so validating and feels so rewarding to, to get that big victory.
1: Well, thank you. Um, And I I laugh because somebody actually said the same to me earlier uh, this morning. And I said, well, I've only been training for five and a half years. So (laughs) I guess maybe just because I've been so involved for so long that it gets lost, um, that it really has been a short amount of time since I've been out on my own.
0: Well, well-deserved, um, and you've done a terrific job and have had some really big horses, I think especially over the last year or so. Um, can you talk a little bit about expanding your stable and kind of getting some more of those big horses to compete in the big races?
1: Um, yeah, so it, it's kind of like the way I structured my business. It, it really was um, a step-by-step process. And um, I have a lot of young horses and not horses that have come in already, um, you know, like made horses. So Mm -hmm. and if I had anything that was running, it was generally a project or something that was coming off a layoff. So, um, you know, when you have a stable like that, you have to be patient and give give everything time to mature and come around. And this really the last two years has been a culmination of that. you know, we've, we have exciting young horses, as um, she feels pretty. And, you know, we've got some older ones, um, such as Shotgun Hottie, that have stepped up this year. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just how it morphed. Um, and it's just how I structured my business with just developing younger horses um, from, you know, basically the very beginning of their career.
0: And she feels pretty is kind of a, a good example of that. She was a $240,000 a, $240, a yearling at Keeneland last year and coming along as a two-year-old now. And um, I, I read a, a quote for you that she, she were really um, confident in her and the fact that she just really seemed to enjoy her job. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and the kind of process of keeping horses happy and and keeping them uh, mentally sound as well as physically?
1: Yeah. So she feels pretty. She's one of those horses. When you have a big group of horses, you you not forget that they're there, but they just go through their paces. And you know, she's always been really straightforward. She's been very mature in her, um, mentally, physically. She's was behind for a while, but has since mm-hmm. caught up. Caught up. But um, she, you know, we she came around and she was breathing really well. And you get, um, as a trainer, when they come in, you really don't want to stand in their way. Uh, I try to bring them along. And not if if they're ready to run, I'd rather run them than try to get them farther along to a race that suits them. So she was ready early July to to run. And all they had were turf sprints. And in talking with the Jacksons and managing expectations, it was, you know, she's turf. We just want to get her started. And it worked out to where she was quite far behind, but she had a really strong closing kick and broke her maiden first time out. Uh, and we knew that she was probably going to want to go farther. And then the other things are just you have to wait for the rest of the class to catch up. So mm-hmm. running in stakes races, going longer distances, uh, really, there's limited opportunity until about the middle to end of August which is uh, the first opportunity that we had was the P.G. Johnson. And the plan with her was we penciled in the P.G. Johnson if she ran well there, maybe the Miss Grio or the Jessamine here in Kentucky. And when that race rained off the turf, we have to go to a plan B. Mm-hmm. The Natalma was right there. So it, it changed our whole picture of what we were going to do. Um, and with her, just she's, she's easy to train in the respect that she breezes and gets enough out of her breezes. She's not too hard on herself in between. and it actually worked out for her because, as I mentioned, she has done quite a bit of physical maturing as well. Mm-hmm. So it, in an ideal world, if you say you have a have a layoff, a layoff type of situation um and you have a horse that's harder on themselves, you might skip a breeze or you might do a couple maintenance easier works in between. Um, but since she's so straightforward, just kind of maintained her fitness and kept moving forward each week. And in credit to her is she did it all on her own with, you know, some adversity and just not Mm -hmm. going with our plan A. And we just had to go to a different plan with her.
0: Yeah, it was, a, it was a tough summer if you had a turf horse, particularly yeah. a two-year-old in New York and finding yeah, opportunities. Exactly. Um, and and that's part of it too, you know, being able to be flexible and kind of roll with it. And uh, it turned out that it worked out well. And instead you got a grade one victory with her. What was that feeling like? And, and seeing her vi- be victorious on the big stage at Woodbine that day?
1: Uh, well, I did make a spectacle of myself because I was at <laughs> Churchill and I was watching on my iPad with my earbuds in. And I was sitting by myself right in front of where everybody was watching the races. So, um, it's just, I I don't know if there's really, I was just so excited and so elated. And, you know, I I gave myself the pep talk before she went in there because we all hope that they're going to step up and run like that. But the honest, honestly, it doesn't usually happen. You know, (laughs) they run well or they, but when, when, Everything you hope for or you think like god it would be so awesome if she just kept clear coming down the lane and she does that it's really hard to maintain your composure.
0: <laughs> That's what it's all about at the end of the day and 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 I love that. Um but you're always looking for the next big horse for the next opportunity and bringing along young horses and you've been really active uh, particularly I saw with Belladonna racing uh at the sale and in buying horses at Keeneland. Can you talk a little bit about um what you saw there and and what you were looking for? So
1: Bella, the Belladonna Racing mm-hmm. Group, it's it's an umbrella of a big partnership um, as far as funding goes. And the Belladonna itself started um, the second year of my training career just really to get some new faces in the game and to get horses in the barn for myself because, you know, when you're a young trainer, you have to get creative in how to create product for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um you know, success begets success, but how do you get horses in there? So that was an idea between um, myself, David, my husband, and Paul Maganero, uh was one of my very first clients. So uh, it's morphed now um, into where we have a, quite a large budget and we're trying to buy the best individuals with pedigree to back that up so that if you get a horse that happens to win at the Classic Distance distances you can make a stallion and it everything supports that so um you know the whole group itself has really just taken on an exciting um trajectory and we did really well we have the same budget as we had last year and we got more horses Mm -hmm. because some of them that we really like they just went over our budget and um but we've I think we got ended up with 19 total between basic Tipton and Keeneland. And our median or average price was down uh, not significantly, but enough to where we got about four or five more horses than we did the year prior. So um really we we're just trying to find the individual um spend a fair amount and stretch where we had to, but we still got some that were um fiscally responsible you know we've got mm-hmm. one for 50,000 one for 87 so kind of covers the gamut of of uh, price range
0: And there are a couple, like you said, really exciting pedigrees in there too. Um, The one that kind of first grabbed my eye was uh, the Quality Road Cult. That's the half brother to Arabian Knight um, who went for 500,000 and and just a really strong, exciting pedigree and kind of seems like a cult, like you were saying, that one that you hope down the line could potentially have a stallion future.
1: Well, exactly. So we bought him on day one of the sale and David does extensive work Uh, all summer long, and even before that, some of these horses he's seen since they've been weanlings or even bulls Mm -hmm. And this one in particular, we're friends with, we're close friends with the Corsair family. And David has watched this horse grow and develop, especially over the past couple months, and he's really matured. Um, just in the last month, and we didn't really think we were going to be able to buy him. We just went to see. What he would go for, and when he was stalling around four fifty and we got him for five hundred, really pleased with that buy. but yeah. um you know we've we've seen the horse, and he's really improved. He's just a little immature, and selling anything on the first day can be difficult just mm-hmm. because the buyers are trying to keep their budget or you know, what they have to go along. so, uh, if you really work hard and you see a horse like that, and you can get him for a price like that, it's really exciting because, um, you know, we feel like we, we got him at a, a really good, good price point.
0: I think you brought up such an interesting. Um, point about it and, and where all that hard work comes into play. Because if you kind of go into the sales cold, you can do as much preparation beforehand, you know, looking at pedigrees or looking at walking videos or things like that. But I feel like you really learn a lot more by going to the farms and being really familiar with the horse as it's come along. And sometimes you can actually find almost a diamond in a rough because you know that wow this horse has actually improved a lot because you, you've seen him along the way and maybe still has some improving to go and it's it's tedious and can take a lot of uh, time and effort but being familiar with horses before the sale I think is such a big key that that some of the top agents really do and I, I think makes a big difference
1: well and it does uh and especially things horses get lost in the shuffle here mm-hmm. because it's just such an enormous. Amount of animals of horses to look at, and everyone a, a lot of the big buyers have shortlisting teams, and they can only do so much. But David has done his best work with really, I I don't want to say his best work because he has a lot of very good work, but he <laughs> saw he feels pretty out at the farm. Um, he saw Tarabi out at the farm. Flightline, he was a he just loved the horse since he was a a weanling. Um, so. You know, a, a horse like she feels pretty, who's was in book four, and you know it's a, an obs- kind of an obscure pedigree. And when he puts a star there to make sure he he looks at the horse, um, you know that that is an an invaluable asset to the process.
0: Yeah, so much that goes into it. I think more than people actually even realize. And yeah. for, for you, um, from being in the training perspective, and I always am intrigued with trainers going to the sales as well, because I think sometimes, um, you know, people that are actually going to have their hands on the horse every day, maybe looking at it a little bit differently when it comes to the sales. What are some of the things that, that are in the back of your mind?
1: Well, I try to find horses that have really good constitution, um, in these days of training, <clears throat> a horse has to be able to take some pressure. So if you're having a horse that has a lighter frame that is coming in on the sale, and they look like they've already been in training, that might be hard for a horse to stay with a good condition. And I always try to only bring horses out and over to the paddock if they look good. Um, you know, so if you get, I'm trying to h- look for a horse that has substance that can go <laughs> You know, either around a ground, or if you're looking and they look like a sprinter, they look like a good sprinter. Um, you know, so I'm just trying to find the most balanced type of individual. Uh, you know, if there's if they're a smaller frame horse and everything fits that, and you know, say it's a a turf horse that looks, you know, it's just mm-hmm, each sure. horse is individual. And but kind of looking at the pedigree. You know, if you have a very large colt that you're trying to make a route dirt horse and it doesn't have the bone or the foundation on it and starting with the foot up, then that's going to be really difficult to keep that horse sound in my mind. I mean, they're babies, so they can trim up, but they're never going to really lay down much more bone than what they've had, have. So, you know, and then you're looking at some conformational defects, whether, you know, they're slightly offset or, um, you know, they're either over or back at the knee, you know, like a horse... the reality is not every horse is going to be confirmationally perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you walk down anybody's barn, you watch them walk at you, and you can see a lot of different things if you really try hard enough. But (laughs) you have to try to see if a horse, do they walk through that? Um, Is that going to impede them as they move forward? So, again, you're trying to see what you're comfortable with. What works for me might not necessarily work for another trainer or another buyer, um, And that's what makes the world go round. Right. So, um, you know, every, uh, there's a lot of horses that were bought for a lot of money that might not have been on my radar, but that doesn't mean that they're not a good horse. It just means that it's just something that doesn't hit what, what my targets are or what, you know, things are important to
0: me. And it is such an objective um I guess process at the end of the day too. And so many people have different steps that they take, like you said with the shortlisters or or looking through the sale and and being a, a trainer and working hands-on with horses and having been part of of large outfits and top class horses. Are there things along the line that you've learned you can maybe be a little bit more forgiving with when you're looking at the sales? Because, you know, maybe it kind of takes you back to, oh, I was around this big horse. And, you know, she right. was always over to able to overcome this on the racetrack. Yeah,
1: and I, and I guess it's what everyone's comfort level is. Sure. So some people only take a perfect grade one throat. Now, it and these are conversations that you have with your vet. Now, if, is it a 2A where they're just slightly asynchronous, which is kind of common? Um, and, you know, I, I would have to say that would be where my comfort level stops. But some mm-hmm. might say, well, a, a 2B with a big throat and they're just a little bit lazy, you know, and in my opinion, then they can forgive something like that. Um, You know, confirmation, it it always just depends on the horse. Now, Mm -hmm. if they're a big, heavy horse and they're quite offset in any of their, it's going to be hard because they're a big, heavy horse. So, you know, and you're also looking at them when they're in your little snapshot of looking at them is, are they heavy on themselves or are they going to be able to, are their tendons and their soft tissue structures going to hold up to what this horse is cuz the horses are what they are um so you know you're trying to do a lot of guesswork and having a lot of like looking to the future and seeing as they grow is this going to be more exaggerated or is this going to not look as bad when they grow up and strengthen up so you know you're trying to see from a trainer's perspective and you're looking at the horses and that's where David again becomes a huge asset is you know, I've seen plenty of horses like this, and they're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and again, I'm still, I like to tell him, I I lean more on him, because I say, well, I haven't done this as long as you've had, you have and training, breaking, buying horses, even in what you do, uh, you know, as a a commentator or a person who has insight, uh, you have to have a bank of knowledge. So The more you do this, the more of a bank of knowledge that you get. So I feel like I'm still working on that. And I have a long ways to go um, just in experience
0: it's such an interesting point too and like you said just as you continue on and um and it's all part of life I guess as well and uh like so many of us in the industry um your your family your relationships revolve around horse racing as well in many ways you mentioned your husband David um your sister Adrian is a big part of your operation uh what is that that balance like and having you know, your husband and family members being so involved in the same sport and maybe bringing um sometimes different perspectives to it
1: well it's it's fun because we're all on the same page and mm-hmm. again with you and 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 Miguel it's you guys at least have one thing in common
0: and <laughs> we know when the busy days are going to be for everybody right
1: <laughs> well you know the busy days and it's not like you have to explain why yeah. like I at the whim yesterday or two days ago said well I have to go to Churchill and then I'm gonna go stay at Ellis and then I'm gonna come back and then I have to go to Oklahoma on Sunday you know to explain that a to a member of your family or a significant partner, um, it's hard because they they don't quite understand why mm-hmm. you have to be well. Don't you have assistance over there? You know, like it's hard to it. It's hard for it's a hard grasp of reality for a lot of people that are not entrenched in it. Um, but the one thing that I would have to say that we are always working on is the work, personal life balance, mm-hmm. and that's been more of a focus because for the the first couple of years, I started this uh, working all day from morning to night. And, um and that's what you have to do whenever you're starting a business is you just have to put everything but now I'm trying to create more of a, a work life balance. And it's not that phone always has to be on for an emergency. But, you know, taking some time here where we go out, and it's, it's just a, you know, you go out for dinner and, really don't want to maybe talk about what's going on, but not as far as where's this horse going to run, you know, just talking. We went out to dinner the other day to celebrate the grade one win. And that was more of a, it it wasn't, we spoke more about the accomplishments and what it meant instead of, you know, just a a regular business dinner of, you know, going, goings on of the stable or in his um, bloodstock business.
0: It is a tough balance. And I think so many people in racing uh, deal with that as well. Yeah. But but it, I, one thing I think is also cool about it is that y- you do also get to celebrate the big moments together, which is oh, kind yeah. of exciting. And I feel like so many people in other industries, you know, you don't really have that opportunity. If you have a, a big promotion or a big win at work, you don't usually have your family right there with you when it happens.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. And even... Um even my family uh, and David's David's family are all in horse racing. Mine is with the standard breads and his is with, uh, you know, uh, John Sheriffs and Dottie are, are my in-laws. So they all understand. Um, And actually when I go up to Saratoga and I have a really hard time because I'm only there on the weekends and when I'm there for the week of the sale, I'm really busy, but I appreciate that my brother's, understand that they bring my nephews over and they try to come and meet me halfway or spend time because they understand that I'm not up there with all this time to spend with them. (laughs) Really try. And you know, it's refreshing that I don't have to explain any of that um, to them.
0: Well, I love that. And um, it's been fun following you, like you said, only training for a little over five years, but doing a tremendous job. And um, uh, from my vantage point, I always enjoy seeing your horses because they always look beautiful in the paddock as well. Uh, And big congratulations on the win this weekend, Cherie. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that's it for another episode of In the Ring. Big thank you to Sherita for taking the time and sharing such uh, honest and interesting insight. I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Adelphi Racing, Guitar Racing, and Gainsway Farm. Thanks to all of you for listening as always. And as I always say, if you find yourself out at the racetrack, I know it's more common to see you out at Saratoga, but come on over, if Belmont at the big A going on now. Please make sure to say hi if you do so. Um, looking forward to covering some more exciting action coming up in the next few months, and please feel free to share this podcast if you think with somebody you think might enjoy it. And thanks, as always, for listening. Be sure you're subscribed to all of the great content and the newsletter over uh, with my colleagues at In the Money Media, and check out all the great coverage, especially as we get closer and closer to Breeders Cup time. We'll see you next time on In the Ring.